Well, good morning, friends. Let's try that again. Good morning. Hey, it's good to see everyone here this morning. If you are a guest with us, my name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Radiant Life, and it is awesome to see guests to uh, our regular church family. So thanks for joining us in worship this morning. And I, I want to take a moment and just brag about you. Is that all right? All right, we're going to throw humility out the side for a minute. And uh, I want to brag about you. We are a Wesleyan church and we belong to the Wesleyan denomination, and we are in the West Michigan district of our denomination, which covers about 66 Wesleyan churches, from Lake Michigan all the way east to Lansing, from us, because we're the furthest south that you could possibly get to Indiana, to just north of Grand Rapids. There's about 66 Wesleyan churches within that district. And every year, every summer, we have what's known as the District Conference. It happens normally the second, or I'm sorry, the third Wednesday of July. And we go, all the pastors and staff and everyone from the, those churches go to Grand Rapids for this big day conference. And we celebrate what God has done in our churches in the last year. It's really fun. We do different music. Uh, one of the pastors, I mean, it's it's. We're very, uh, let's just, we're very Caucasian. And so when we come together, we have African-American churches in our district. And to blend those two worship styles is awesome. Like, we're worshiping reggae style. Like, how cool is that, right? And we, we would worship reggae here and be like, what? But it was awesome. And they started district conference just this past Wednesday. We went there with worship, which was great, and then they went into celebrations, and they wanted to celebrate the top two churches in the district for different categories, different reasons. These are the top two out of the 66 churches, and we got celebrated in several categories, and I want to share with you this morning what categories we were celebrated in. They celebrated the growth in the following, and this is where I had to come on stage and get the award. Uh, it was just gift cards, and I, I want to tell you, and I'm bragging on you, I just stood there and just got more and more and more because you guys are awesome. But we had growth in the following. We got celebrated for growth, and we were in the top two in attendance, growth. Percentage change from two years ago to last year. We were in the top two in percentage growth in attendance. We were in the top two percentage growth in baptism. And we were in the top two percentage growth of salvations. So thank you. And here's a stat, and we got celebrated for one more. But I got to tell you the statistic on this one. 10% of churches in North America are growing by these. They're just growing. In one of those categories, 10% of churches in America, that means 90% of churches in North America just are stagnant, just aren't doing much. Out of those 10%, 2% are growing in attendance, baptism, and salvations, and we got recognized for all three areas of church growth. That's because of you. So give yourselves a hand, because that is awesome. And can we just praise God? 
Can we give God a hand for that and what he's doing here? And I, I, I just want to thank you. This past week, uh, my wife and my family, we celebrated two years of our move here to Sturgis Beck, to our hometown. And um, I know we've made changes. We've seen changes um, happen. And for some of us, you remember, this is my home church too. I remember the choir, the hymnal. I mean, I, I remember, um, funny stories. I remember sitting back there and always leaving when the pastor got up. <laughs> I wanted to go to the bathroom just to kill time. Like, <laughs> that's all. I didn't go to that bathroom. I, I, I purposely walked down the longer hall just to take more time. That's horrible to say. How dare me? Please forgive me. But um, I understand we, we've made changes and we, we've grown in areas. And I didn't move to Sturgis two years ago just to make changes for change's sake. I made it for people who are far from Jesus can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I hope in my prayers that you have a holy discontent deep down inside of your pit that there are lost people who are far from Jesus that you know will spend eternity away from him. And there needs to be something inside of us that says, I'm going to live out the Great Commission. Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And church, I want to be the church that's obedient risk. I'm saved. I know where I'm going. But my neighbors aren't saved. And there should be something deep down inside of me that says I will do everything to get them here, to hear the gospel message, the good news of who our Savior Jesus Christ is. And I hope we're all in that boat together. As we, as we say, as we live like Jesus and share his love. So, church, good job. Keep up your good work. Uh, the mission field's still big, right? We still got a lot of work. We're not satisfied till everyone in this zip code, zip code 49091, knows who Jesus Christ is. And then when they do, then we got to reach out into other zip codes. So that's our goal. So let's keep moving. Let's keep obedient risk, okay? All right, so great job. We are in a summer teaching series together. This is part seven of an 11-part series titled 10, and we're looking at the 10 what? 10 commandments, right? These are those big 10 that you see when you open up into Exodus, the second book in the biblical text. You land at Exodus, and God has delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt for 430 years, and God's now saying, hey, you are going to be my message to the world. So I got to teach you some relationship rules so you represent me well to everyone. And here's the paraphrase list that we've been looking at. No other gods, no graven images. Do not misuse the Lord's name. Keep the Sabbath holy. Honor mom and dad. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. And today, we're going to look at commandment number eight. Do not steal. And then we still got do not commit adultery. We have do not lie. Do not covet yet. Still to cover. But here's in Exodus chapter 20. Here's exactly what God tells Moses about do not steal, commandment number eight. This is what it says. You shall not what? That's it. That's all God says. Hey, don't steal. And then he actually just goes on to the next commandment. And he sits there like, I want more. Like, can you unpack this a little more, God? Like, and we will, and God does. But this is it. And for some of us, we're sitting here this morning saying, yeah, this one's a gimme. I'm not thinking about in the middle of the night going over to my neighbor's house and stealing their car. 
And if you are, don't think that. <laughs> but you're not thinking that. You're probably not thinking, I'm going to go into Meyer after church and stuff my purse full of clothes and walk out. Most of us probably aren't thinking that way. So when we see, you shall not steal, we think, yeah, this is easy. Well, let me ask you a couple questions this morning. Have you ever gossiped? Have you ever spread gossip about someone to another person and steal their reputation? Oh, this commandment takes on a whole new meaning. What about this? Have you ever lied? You didn't want to get in trouble, so you just said, hey, you know what? This is a white lie. I can get out of this. And you try to get out of it, and you realize that you stole the trust of that person? What about the next one? Have you ever done that? Just absolutely degraded someone. And you stole their dignity. Or how about this? You ever or have a pirated movie at home? You know that big warning that comes on the movies before copyright law, you can't steal this movie, yet we pirated movies all the time. Or we know people who do that at our expense. The top two pirated movies in the last two years were Interstellar and Deadpool. But we justify, don't we? They've already made their millions. I'm just one person watching the movie. This commandment takes on a new meaning. How about work? That staple that's been in that that stapler that's been in that closet, that, that, that they won't even know that it's gone. So you just slip that stapler in because you need one at home. Or all those pens that are laying there, and all oh, the business companies always buying pens. We don't just I can take some. Did you ask permission? Did you steal them? But we're so good at justifying, aren't we? Like, we almost act like that's a spiritual gift, justification, <laughs> that we can justify. The work doesn't need it. They, they make millions anyways, and the pens are 16 cents. How about this? For followers of Jesus, what about the tithe? For God says, when he talks about the tithe, that 10%, you stole from me. You and Malachi, you robbed from me. And we steal. So most of us, we look and you shall not steal. We go, uh-oh. Okay, maybe not the big things. Maybe I'm not stealing my neighbor's cars. Maybe I'm not stealing things from stores. But yeah, there's other things I may steal and justify. And to the Hebrew people, as Moses delivered them out of Egypt, 430 years of slavery, into this new relationship with God, they knew exactly what this commandment meant. And my guess is something was stirring inside of them as they heard this commandment. Here's a map of where they, you do know and realize that they're not from Egypt. 430 years of slavery here. They're from the land of Canaan, present-day Israel. These are the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac stole, his birth, stole the birthright from his older brother Esau. Jacob wrestled with God, changed his name to Israel. 
Hence the nation, hence the 12 tribes of Israel. He's got 12 sons, the favorited, Joseph, who went to special authority, who got the special robe from dad. And brothers are jealous. And in Genesis, it tells us that his brothers took him. They stole him. They kidnapped him, put him in a cistern out in the wilderness, waited for a caravan, sold him into slavery, and Joseph leaves his land, goes to Egypt as a slave, rises second in command only to Pharaoh, and all of a sudden a famine is in the land, and his family, his brothers, make the trek over to Egypt because they have money and food. And all of a sudden Joseph, who was stolen from his family, sees his brothers in front of him. And says, hey, there's a famine. Come live with me. I'm your brother, Joseph. And he moves his family from the land of Canaan into Egypt. And and as Pharaoh grows older, and as Joseph grows older, the Israelites, the Hebrew people begin to multiply like rabbits. They are just everywhere. Joseph dies. Pharaoh dies. And a new Pharaoh comes on scene and says, there are too many of these Hebrew people. I got to do something. And my one word, slavery. And they begin to work here. And it's going to be Moses who delivers them out of Egypt into the Sinai Peninsula where God gives them these Ten Commandments. But it's Joseph who brought them to Egypt. And how did they end up in Egypt? You shall not steal. And I imagine they're sitting there hearing Moses and the Ten Commandments. And ten, commandment number eight, you shall not steal. And I imagine the Hebrew people, anger and bitterness roots up inside of them. It's what happened and caused slavery. That's why mom and dad were slaves. That's why my brother and sister were slaves. That's why grandma and grandpa were slaves. Because we know our ancestry and we realize it was Joseph, whose brothers are so jealous of him, sold him and took him and stole him into slavery. You shall not steal takes on a whole new meaning. And in fact, even though it only says, you shall not what? You shall not steal. God is going to unpack that a little more for us. So turn with me in your Older Testament to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22. And we're going to get some consequences that God's going to give his people on this idea of stealing. Exodus chapter 22. And you can think of the Ten Commandments as these ten commitments, these ten relationships that God has with his people. And then these are like the ten big categories. And then God's going to give them a ton of laws to live by. And all these laws fit under one of these ten categories, if you will. And this is the stealing. Exodus 22, verse 1 says this. Whoever, what friends? Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back how many? Must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four for the sheep. Sheep for the sheep. So get this math. In my head, I would view stealing as you stole one, you repay back for the one. That makes sense. But in God's math, He says, you steal one, you're going to give back five. You steal one, you're going to give back four. And here's a picture of of an ox, of cattle. This was so important to those back in the day. 
This meant money. This meant work. This is how you plowed your fields. This is how you made a living. And if you were missing one, he can't do everything alone. So now you're out of work. Now you're out of money. What are you doing? And God says, you steal one, you have to give them back five. But God's not done. He continues in verse 4. If, those, if the stolen animal is found alive in their possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, they must pay back double. I sit here and go, man, God's math and my math still aren't the same. I still like you steal one, you give it back one. Now God's saying, no, you steal one. If it's alive, give them two now. And if you sell it or slaughter it, you're to give four or five. And you sit there and go, what are you trying to get into, God? And for some of us, we say, you know what, Ryan? That's Older Testament. That's old. That's just back then. It doesn't apply today. All right, let's go into the Newer Testament. In the Newer Testament, they speak of this idea, too, of this math that's not working in my head. One for one. One for two. One for four. Or one for five. And in fact, how many of you guys like Extreme makeover, home makeover shows. Anyone? Those fixer-uppers and what other shows are there? Just shout it. Uh, sure, that works. I don't even know what you said, but it worked, all right? Fixer-upper, whatever. And what they do is they go in and just completely renovate something. Just completely demolish it sometimes and just start new. And here's a couple pictures of what they do. Here's a kitchen that just is, is a little dated, but they came in and made it more contemporary. They don't just do kitchens, but here's a bath, something, once again, that's kind of older and dated, and they give it a little fresher look to it, a little more modernized. And they don't just do interiors, they do exterior as well. And here's a house that this couple, I believe it was in probably Ohio, uh, and this is where this house was. I'm not just picking on Ohio. Okay, maybe I am. I actually think it's North Carolina, but we'll say Ohio for that sake. <laughs> and they completely redo this house. <laughs> there we go. To make it look like that. Let's, let's, let's do that transition. There it is. To that. Just completely making over the entire house. And I think perhaps this is what God's getting at with his math. In Paul, in the Newer Testament, the guy who hated Christians, who voted to persecute them, hated the Jesus movement, went out, started planting churches all over the ancient world, wrote or planted churches in the Ephesus region, big, huge port city, phenomenal, beautiful. Hope you get to go there one day. They still have a lot of the ancient stuff there, temples and everything. And Paul's writing to these first-generation followers of Jesus. They're trying to get, what does it look like to follow this Jesus? And Paul writes them, and we have the book Ephesians in our Newer Testament. And Paul's telling them, when you have Jesus and you decide to follow him, things ought to be different. God enters into your life and does an incomplete makeover like those pictures. And here's what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Anyone who has been must no longer. These are believers. The believers are still stealing. <laughs> and Paul says, 
knock it off. You can't do that anymore. Don't do that. Reference to the Ten Commandments here. But must work, doing something useful with their own hands. Why? Why shouldn't we steal? Paul says that they may have something to, let's say it together, share with those in need. Or maybe your translation says give to those in need. And you sit there and say, okay, Paul, or let's talk, Old Test- Older Testament, not one for one, but you steal something, repay that double. Steal something, give four. Steal one thing, give five. And then Paul comes in and says, you've got to stop stealing. Why? Because you have to have something, and it's called sharing, giving, or generosity. There's something bigger going on here with the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. I want to put it this way. I have this piece of tape here. This tape represents the line. This side, we're not sinning. We're there. This side of the line is to steal. And I think what Jesus is after and what God's after is it's not just telling us, hey, don't cross the line and start stealing. I think what God's after is is he says, it's not one for one, it's one for two, one for four, one for five, and it's, why don't you steal everything is you've got to share and give. I think what God's not doing is just pushing us away from the line saying, don't, I just want you away so you don't cross it and steal. I think he's drawing us to something much bigger. And I think as we look at this line and as God draws us away, repay back one for two, repay back four. If you steal one, give five. God's pushing us and drawing us over here so far away from the line. Why? Because I believe this. I believe Jesus is drawing us to a heart of what? One more time. Jesus is drawing us to a heart of what? It's generosity. It's the complete, it's not tiptoe that line over there. It's I want to draw you as far away as possible to have a heart of generosity to have a heart that gives, that shares with other people. Don't even stay here and be like, hey, steal this one thing, and then you can just give it back, the one thing. No, 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 no. I want you as far away possible from that line. That's why I say if you've got one, you've got to repay back five. Get away from that thing. But I sit there, why is Jesus drawing us to this? Why a heart of generosity? Why does that even matter? Because I think it's this. Generosity puts God on display. Say this with me. Let's say it together. Generosity puts God on display. One more time like Jesus is up here preaching the gospel. Ready? Generosity puts God on display. Well done. Because as followers of Jesus, we realize that the best thing you and I can do is to live like Jesus and share his love. It's the Great Commission. And God's saying, my heart is so far away from that line. It's not just to keep you safe. It's to draw you into a heart of generosity. It's to draw you to give and to share with people. Here's what John 3.16 says, and we know this verse if you do church at all. For God so what? He loved. Generosity is love in action. 
Everything that he does, it's love in action. For God so loved the world out of his love that he, what friends? He gave. It's out of God's love. He says, I love you so much. And my heart of generosity is overflowing and I'm going to give you my son Jesus Christ to take on my flesh and be me to the people. And why? That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And oftentimes we stop right there. But verse 17 is so critical as well. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to what? He didn't just send Jesus to say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You need punishment. No, John writes, but to, let's say this word, why did Jesus come? To save the world through him. And God's saying, this is my heart. I'm giving you my son, Jesus. It's a heart of generosity. It's to stay as far away from that line as possible. And Jesus was the fulfillment of me. Jesus says, if you had seen me, you had seen your heavenly Father. Have that heart of generosity. We're going to watch this video of a heart of generosity by a girl by the name of Sarah. It's a short video. But she was afraid of this one word, generosity. She was afraid of the risks that it involves. And I want you to hear her heart as she shares what one risk in generosity brought about. Let's watch this video. I think maybe the biggest thing that holds people back from being generous is that generosity entails taking a risk. Sometimes it means risking talking to a stranger to see if they're okay. Sometimes it means risking your financial stability. Sometimes it means risking your personal safety. And so I think that that holds people back. When I was 27 years old, I was living on the East Coast, and I just was on top of the world, and I couldn't imagine life getting any better. And then, out of the blue, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. In the process of my treatment, I got really, really sick, and my whole life fell apart. While I'm there in the hospital, I resigned my job, I Craigslisted my apartment, I sold all my stuff, and I bought a one-way ticket to the West Coast because I wanted to get as far away as I could get. I still remember getting off the plane, and I'm standing there with just a suitcase, and I'm this bald, scarred, broken mess of a girl. I felt like I was invisible. I felt like the pain and the suffering that I was enduring didn't matter, that nobody noticed and nobody saw me. It was in that state where I was just kind of wandering through my life that I was riding a train one afternoon and I saw the Somali woman get on the train with her two little girls who were ages three and four, but there wasn't a seat for the three-year-old. And so I held my arms out like this and she climbed into my lap and she just nestled in and fell asleep. And I looked at the mom and I asked her more about her life and she started telling me their story. In very broken English, she explained that she and her husband had five little girls who were all under the age of nine. They'd come to the States, but her husband had been abusive and then had left the family right after they arrived. She didn't have a job. She barely spoke English. She didn't have any money. She didn't know a soul, and she's in this foreign city. 
I thought, God, I am the least qualified person to put in this situation. I decided that I would get their address and at least they would know that they weren't alone, that there was one person who saw these people who were seemingly invisible. And that's what made me drive to their apartment. I saw they had absolutely nothing. It looked like an apartment that nobody lived in. A couple days later, I went and I took them a couple bags of groceries. And then a couple days after that, I went back and I took them some clothes. And then my church got involved and we donated little girls' clothes. We were able to fill their closets. They gave these little girls rocking chairs and dollhouses and toys to play with. And we did this like extreme home makeover. A lot of people ask the question, what do you get for the girl who has everything? And the question I started asking about these girls was, what do you get for the girl who has nothing? If I could be generous and give something of me to empower them, what would be the best thing that I could give them? And my answer to that was a college education. I don't have the money that it takes to send five little girls to four years of college each, but I thought, you know what, I could sell a book. The book came out and all of the proceeds of the book are going into a trust fund for these little girls so that they have a shot at going to college. And it wasn't just my story and it wasn't just their story, but it was our story. And that by reaching outside of myself and helping this family while I was still really hurting actually ended up being my lifeline. And so for me personally, the journey that I've been on is learning how to reverse the question. Instead of asking, what happens to me as I give this money away? The question becomes, what will happen to these girls if I don't? ends that entire video. It's not a question of what's going to happen to me if I give, but what would happen to those little girls if I did not give? And I wonder if God had that same exact mindset when he looked down at us and says, if I don't send my son Jesus, what's going to happen to them? And if we live this heart of generosity out, as Jesus is drawing us so far away from that line, the question for us is, what would happen to the people around me if I don't do this? If I don't put God on display? In John, the Gospel of John, writes about the life of Jesus. John, his own disciple. In John chapter 10, verse 10, says the thief comes to steal and destroy. The thief, the enemy of your soul is on the opposite line of this. He's over here. And God and Jesus says, but I've come, the son of man has come to give life and to give life to the full. Jesus is saying, I am so far away from that line because there's an enemy on the other side. He wants to destroy you. And you and I have the privilege of putting this God who is alive, who defeated death, defeated sin, who has the Holy Spirit living inside of you, we get that privilege to put him on display. And if you don't get goosebumps, you better check your relationship with Jesus Christ. The God who's alive says, put me on display. And what encourages me about generosity 
As I look around and the God of the universe has given me breath. I'm here alive this morning together as church family worshiping him. That I've been forgiven of my sins. That I walk in forgiveness. I've been liberated from addictions and transgressions. The God who defeated death is alive, church. And God says, don't even come close to that line. Because that's where stealing and destruction happens. I want to draw you as far away into a heart of generosity. Will you stand and the team's going to lead us into a song? But I want to pray for us. Because we always don't get this. We mess up. Probably mess up more than I get this right. But man, we have a God who is alive this morning. We just want to worship him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I know I just want to be a church and be a people who fall in love more and more every single day with you. I want to be a church that says, I'm ready to get up and lift the heart of God out. I'm ready to be generous. And for some of us, we're like, I don't know what that means. I don't have time. I don't have money. But God, it's even in the small ways that you can use us to put you on display. I just pray knowing that we are free as followers of Jesus, that we become a generous people. And that we step far away from that line. Knowing you have defeated death and we walk in victory. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for being a God who's always there to pick us back up with your generous heart. And say, I love you, child. Try again. Try again. Try again. And I pray that that heart would bleed out of our actions. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Everyone said together. It's a mystery to me, this whole faith thing, this believing in a being, in a God who created life and then continues to recreate ours, making us new and whole in his. I don't fully understand it. I mean, take a moment and think about it. This God who breathes beginnings into ends and turns darkness into life. This God who parts waters and frees an entire nation. This God sees us. I mean, really sees us. He sees us when our mouths choose to lie and curse. He sees us when our hands choose to abuse and misuse. He sees us when our hearts choose to kill. the day. 
us to understand it because it is a miracle and a mystery and amazing. And yet the things we don't understand we deem as impossible, which distracts us from the one who can restore sight, sound, and soul. And we read the 10, thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do this. And we step back and we build a wall and say that's just too tough. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is enough. Believe, he says. Believe, I am real. Here, I am among you, living within. I can do today what I did back then. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would help us believe. Help us believe in the midst of our unbelief and in the midst of miracles and mystery. You shall not steal. The one thing I absolutely love about the Eighth Commandment is as God draws us away from the line into a heart of generosity, that generosity puts God on display. You and I put the God of miracles on display. I just got goosebumps. That's who we get to display to people. It's the God who takes situations that are dead and brings them back to life. The God who gives life to the full. The God who loves. The God who's full of grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's the God you and I get to put on display. Man, these Ten Commandments aren't just rules. So much more than that. At this time, our ushers are going to come forward and take up this morning's connection cards and our tithe and offering. If you're a first-time guest with us, you want to hold on to that connection card and take it to our Radiant Cafe. Right after service, we've got a gift bag for you and free drinks on us just to say thank you. But we say this every Sunday. Thank you for being a God-first church. Not just with finances, but with every area in our lives that we are God-first. And what's so awesome that this summer, we've been averaging over 500 in summer attendance. You know what's crazy about that? You don't normally get that. <laughs> Vacation, yeah, you can clap on that. Camping, vacation, those things come up, we're gone. We don't do church for so many of us just a whole lot in the summer because we're here and there. But we constantly have been that. And what's awesome is hopefully this fall, later in the fall, we're going to bring you guys the capital campaign and show you the new designs of us with adding additions because we need more room in here. We need more room in our kids' area and other, the lobby's packed. You guys know that. So we have designs. So we're going to launch that all this fall for you. And what gets me excited is if we're 500 in the summer, what is God going to do in the fall? When people come back to church, right? Falls normally back to church. Man, it's exciting, church. You are all awesome. And I bless God. I praise God for that. I'm going to pray for the offering. And then the team's going to lead us in one closing song, Multiply. These hallelujahs be multiplied. May we go and be generous and put God on display. 
Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for the gift and the giver. Constantly praying that we be a God-first church in all aspects. We thank you for those, just this past week, the couple names that surrendered their life to you that we can now put on the back wall number even more. And we thank you. I pray that this offering, as we give back what is already yours, that we just constantly build your kingdom, not only in Sturgis, but well beyond and in this, in this community that we all live in and have influence in. God, I just pray that you would blow the doors open and that we're a church that says you belong here. Whether you're a follower of Jesus, or you're questioning this God or doubting to a follower of Jesus. That everything we do is we give back to you, God, this tithe, this offering. Would you help us to live like Jesus and share his love? We need your help. And God, as we go, as we close with this song, would you help our hallelujahs be multiplied? Would you just shine in our lives so when people look at us, they see you and not ourselves. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. dude that's like up to the line maybe even leaning over it and I love that God has blessed us with our teaching pastor because I was feeling defeated but guess what we get to be over here where Jesus is I pray that we as a church are radiant diamonds that are just bursting in our community we'll see you guys next week